Right guys, welcome to our podcast for the Australian Grand Prix that should have been out two weeks ago. Just a little PSA from me, uh, apologising that it basically didn't get edited because I've been ill for two weeks. But let's hope you still enjoy it anyway. Lots of good topics in there for me, recent and Tim. Uh, so let's get into it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese and joined today by Dan and Tim. After the uh, events of the last podcast, where we recorded straight after the race, we um, uh, and we didn't get the final classified result because of that. We decided that after the Australian Grand Prix, we would give it a good you know, 12 hours after the race finished, so that way the result would be classified. However it's still not being classified by the FIA because of uh, protests from AlphaTauri and from Haas. We'll get into it, but if they're very, especially in the Haas case, then they've been really shafted by a inconsistency in rules, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. There's a lot of people have been shafted. Except for Max Verstappen. He never gets shafted, apparently. Actually, he nearly shafted himself on that final turn for a few laps to go. <laughs> What do you mean when he went off on the grass? Yeah, I think that's what that means, yeah. Yeah, um, mate. Barely. He, 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 barely. He, took, he took a little excursion. What, what do you mean? Near, but he, he lost, what is it, six seconds to Hamilton, taking a little detour on the grass. Did you see what he said about that after the race? He said that the uh, Melbourne uh, grass cutters, he thought, needed some help in keeping the grass short, so he thought he'd cut it for them and then just laughed it off. I didn't, but that's actually quite funny, considering it come from him, I guess. It's not bad. <laughs> you you would laugh it off, wouldn't you, though, if you're in the fastest car, you can afford to make six seconds worth of mistakes and still pull away and be comfortably in first place still. I mean... He, he, mate, was, what was he, like, 13 seconds or something ahead of him at that point? And then... He went from six tenths behind Lewis into the DRS zone going into turn nine and came out of the end of the, like, and then started the next lap two seconds ahead. Do you know what that reminded me of, though, when he flew past, uh, literally at a rate of knots, I was like, when in Fast and the Furious, when they hit the NOS button, it's like, boom, gone. Like, literally, <laughs> just like, he just flew past him on the outside as well. That was my gone. exact thought when he did it in Saudi last race as well against Lewis, when he just, like, just breezed past him going into that final corner, and it was done before they were halfway down the the back straight at the end of the lap yeah um yeah it's 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 scary how fast that rebel is i mean i mean perez had safety cars red flags and everything to contend with that didn't really help him out in the sense of pulling the grid closer because every time the race had a start um a start or a restart there was carnage yeah and also um for perez's progression through the field he was doing quite well and then he was one of the very few back markers that pitted under the safety car before the first red flag came out. And that put him right to the back of the pack again. It put him back to 
18th, 19th, I think it was, when he had been up to 13th already at that point. So he then had to retake all of those drops that he'd taken in the first part of the race. Yeah, I've got an opinion on that. I think that if there's a safety car that is then upgraded to a red flag, that the order should be reset to what it was when the safety car was deployed. Because, you know, you're gambling on a... Well, you're not gambling. You're you're making a strategic move for pitting under the safety car knowing it's not going to lose your time. But then a red flag comes out and you're completely shafted by it. Yeah, but that's because you are taking the gamble. You're, you're you're taking the gamble to pit and then get an advantage. So you're saying we should reset the field because your gamble didn't work and you didn't get an advantage. Well, it's not right even here? really it's not really a gamble, is it though? But it is because you're you're gambling on the fact that no one else is going to pit in front of you after you've already pitted, and it it isn't going to turn into a red flag. But what what made me laugh though is. Lewis bitching and moaning about, oh, you basically left me out to dry. This is a bad call. And then, oh, okay, cheers, thank you. Lately, like, like, it was hilarious. It would have been interesting if Verstappen had pitted and Hamilton had stayed out and then we got a red flag. Mate, he still would have won by fucking 10 seconds. Yeah, it just would have been, you know, a race for the lead a bit later than lap 12. Could you imagine the controversy of the issue if you'd have had... Hamilton passing Verstappen on that second to last restart and then being told that he had to go back to second place for the for the formation lap at the end. I think oh. that's the only reason they did it the way they did it. Because I think if there had been a lead if there had been a lead change, I think they could not have gone back on that. They just can't afford it. They can't afford to go down that road again, the FIA. I think it was uh, yeah, I just think it was really I don't get the inconsistency of the FIA in that situation where you can say that one driver in Science's case is going to get a penalty for um, causing the crash on the restart. But you're also going to say that people who gained places and did their restart well are not going to be able to keep the rewards of having that good restart. I think whatever they decided and whatever they've done, someone's going to have an issue with it. But my my only problem with it is we had this, it was last year, wasn't it, in the British Grand Prix. We've already had an established uh, outcome of what happens when this happens, but yet they decided to change it again. But they didn't change it. They did exactly what they did. They just took forever to decide on it. But they, where, they, I think, where I think this is different from the British Grand Prix scenario is that the British Grand Prix one was done on the first first start of the race. And I think that is a different circumstance to a restart with two laps to go. Yeah, I think if you're going to officiate a restart from a red flag, so a standing restart, you have to treat it like a turn one, sort of like, or a lap one, like sequence of events. You can't go, oh, well, because this happened on lap 55, we're going to do it differently. No, you've still got to treat it like it was lap one. So a red flag would be the reset from that certain point. And any collisions would be treated like racing incidents if they were racing incidents. What they should have done is taken a book out of NASCAR's page, reset the whole field with whoever was left, free lap shoot out, overtime. That's it, done. See, see, see who goes, gets where. Yeah, but how do you pick the order in an F1 race? 
I know you're comparing it to the Kota race last week for the NASCAR. For those who haven't seen it, the final four or five restarts in the last 10, 12 laps, it was just seven, eight abreast into turn one at Circuit of the Americas. And it was just carnage. And every time was a <laughs> was a was a safety car just because they were all that desperate. But in, in F one it's not you, you can't do that because you don't have the opportunity to gain six or seven places and then keep and then keep what you earn in Holkenberg's case. He he earned what five places on the second to last restart and then was told to go back to one place ahead of where he restarted from. We had a, a grid with everyone that made it through that crash and wherever they were, where, wherever you lack, like wherever you, wherever you were, when yeah. you come back in, that's it. Reset it. Yeah, that's what that. That's that, what I, I agree. I agree. I agree. That's your order. If you fucked up, you fucked up. If you didn't, you didn't. Like, if you managed to go from eleventh to fifth, fine. Like you're in fifth, but then literally just give them all, all fresh tires, fre- yeah. fresh set of softs, three yeah. laps, you out, go for it. Yeah. If um. If we are talking about if we'd have kept the line there, um, Hulkenberg and Haas have both been robbed of their first podiums today, potentially. If Even if you'd run it safety car for the last two laps to the end, because with science's penalty from the restart, Hulkenberg would have been fourth and been promoted to third. Um, if, if there was a list of the world's unluckiest drivers, Hulkenberg would be fourth. Yes, yeah, so who, who said that? Um, I'm trying to think who it was. There was someone in the media recently said that, so I have stolen that line. <laughs> like, uh, like Hulkenberg was on the podium if they had uh, changed their rules again. I think the rules need to be changed. I think it needs to be reviewed because I just don't think it's... If, if you do a restart on lap 56 and you go from lap and you go from 8th to 4th, you avoid all of the carnage, you get a really good restart because you pass the McLaren off the line as well. And then you're told, really sorry, um, we're going to penalise someone on that lap of the race, but that lap of the race doesn't count for you. That's just so cruel. Well, I mean, I I feel like unless you've actually gone through a timing light window, you can't do anything about it. And that's what they couldn't do with um, with Silverstone was because all the cars hadn't gone through the like the the, the, the sec- hadn't gone past the second safety car line to trigger like a timing window but but the reason that the two but cars here, haven't gone past the safety car line is because there were cars involved in the accident you can't know when you it's still, no in silverstone it wasn't go. like that there were cars that hadn't gone through because it was all slow cars and spinners and everything remember you had the whole I'll, I'll be honest, action. from my perspective i don't know at what moment the red flag was put out of silverstone because i wasn't watching on screens so i i saw the show disappear over the fence and then that was that was as far as I thought. I didn't know what exact point the red flag came out. Right, but surely we don't need like more rules. I think they need to chuck away half the the regulation book and just simplify everything because it's you've got to go to paragraph six, chapter two, article twenty nine to find out like you know what you're meant to do in this situation. It's like I I think it's just it's 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 like it's just like, oh, we've got 92 scenarios. Like, but why? I mean, it's ridiculous. But if you start taking away what rules, then teams find loopholes, which happens, of course, a lot in Formula One. Yeah, but we're not taking away rules. We're just taking the 92 articles and subsection 01s and stuff, and we're putting it as, right, if this happens, it's this. 
and just literally have like just four right so, that, so, so then you don't have to wait what the best part of half an hour or so on a red flag like i i legit had to set a 15 minute countdown alarm because i fell asleep twice this is um the other fact issue that i have with the red flag scenario why do we need 15 minutes in, in the instance of the red flag um at the start of the race um for when albon hit the wall they they fixed everything and then said right the race is going to restart in 12 minutes what what once the issue on the track is fixed just get the drivers back in the car and roll them off the grid it's not it, it why does it why do we have to have that waiting period between the track being clear and everything being resolved and and then that restart zone I don't, I don't get that. In every other series, the drivers are told they have to stay in their cars, and then the moment the track is clear, they they roll off pit lane. Yeah, but it's a bit different like that in Formula One because the cars aren't exactly easy to fire up. I don't think it's just take. It doesn't take them 15 minutes to restart a car at the start of a qualifying period, for example. Between what is it, six or seven minutes between Q1 and Q2, and they can do it fine, and including refueling. Well, you saw today in the final red flag one of the teams couldn't i think it was alpha i think it was alpha romeo they couldn't fire up one of their cars because when the cars are in the pit in their pit box not in their pit box here their garage it's easy for them to fire the car up again but if you're out in the actual pit lane you've got these mobile units which one of the teams it wasn't working so so alpine came to the rescue and lent and loaned theirs so they could restart one of the cars. It's that's why you have to give it the warning because if something like that happens, you're just going to be blocking the pit lane. No, you just don't start because you didn't get your shit together. That's it. Fuck them. Buy better equipment. I fully agree. <laughs> so savage. Oh no, I remember what it was. Why they couldn't do it? It's because it's because the mobile jack or whatever they 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 lift it up and put the trolley put the car on this trolley and the trolley was like not working so they couldn't reposition the entire grid in the pit lane if you were if you were Haas if so if you were Hulkenberg or Sonoda in that position and you were told to go from fourth and fifth back to eighth and eleventh surely you could just leave your car there and say we're not moving until (laughs) until we uh until we are allowed to keep our position that's what I would have instructed them to do if I was their team manager Right, I have a quick question actually. As you brought that up, obviously we're wait we're awaiting the FIA decisions or whatever on Hass and who was it? Hass and AlphaTauri. Right. So, what are they actually a- appealing, and what does it mean if it changes? Finish position. Yeah, because so they're, they're saying that the race should have been effectively nullified after sector one on lap 56 and not at the restart on lap 56 which would mean that Hulkenberg would finish fourth instead of eighth and third after the penalty and Sonoda would finish fifth instead of tenth and fourth after the penalty to science but then they're saying that there's an inconsistency that science is receiving a penalty for that turn one restart but our drivers have done really well and then been moved back but if that's the case, you think Sainz receives his penalty. How does he then serve his penalty, a five-second time penalty, on a final lap that then can never exist and take place? Every car went through sector one on the on the cooldown, and I would assume that 
there was a, there was a bit of a gap between where it was yellow flag, yellow flag, yellow flag, then red as they went around the lap. That there must the FIA. I know we only see the three sector times on the screen, but the FIA have much shorter and much more regular timing loops, pretty much for every corner, every mini sector that the drivers and the teams can use to break down. There must have been some sort of timing loop between the start of the race, turn one, and then the point that the red flag came out. Because they're every like five or six seconds in terms of time on the track. And there was definitely more than that between the crashes happening and the red flag coming out. I just feel like it's pointless them trying to get it overturned because it took them long enough to come up with the, the decision of the the restart and everything that they were going to do. It's just like, it's, it's kind of just beating a dead horse at this point, isn't it? It's kind of pointless. I don't know. I, the way I see it is you have a red flag restart procedure. It should be straightforward. But as soon as Michael Massey gets within uh, a whiff of the racetrack, it becomes all crazy again. Has anyone seen Ted Kravitz's rant on this? On the fact that he's been back, not just as a spectator, but was actually allowed to walk around the paddock and stuff. It's no. a phenomenal rant if you can find it online. It's, it's amazing. What's he say? Just how he shouldn't be anywhere near the sport, basically. How he should not be invited back as a guest. How he shouldn't be invited back as a guest of the FIA after everything that he did to, like, affect the reputation of the sport and the professionalism of the sport. It's, it's just it's a, quite an incredible rant. He wasn't there as a guest, though. He was there directing V8 supercars. Oh, as an employee of the FIA then on an F1 weekend. Yeah. He shouldn't be there as an FIA invited or working employed person. No, he should have been there as a guest of Red Bull Racing. That's what he should have been. <laughs> because they probably owe him a couple of million. Because, you know, we can't we can't get the funds to him right now because he's obviously, you know, he's still under investigations and stuff. you got to wait a little bit. They did well, pay him a couple of million. They paid him a couple of million. It was in cutlery. <laughs> That's what it was, <laughs> in the cutlery. They paid, they paid for his food at the Abu Dhabi Hotel. They, um... <laughs> I've they, just moved out, all right? I know this shit is expensive. It's probably They probably <laughs> bought him a nice new silverware set, and that's what cut sent Red Bull's carrying budget <laughs> over the top. Yeah, but they probably did like a Trump scandal with a hush money payment scandal. Like they, end up, they, they ended up funneling it through, giving him 922,000 cans of Red Bull or something. I mean, you're the one who would know if that's how much a Red Bull costs, because I haven't got a clue. Actually, sir, I have not had an energy drink in about two months. Not that I don't want to, I just I'm not allowed to. That explains why you're so tired all the time. Hashtag old age kicking in. (laughs) Hashtag decides to work as a DJ and then complains about, you know, being tired. (laughs) Bro, your job is that boring. I've already forgot what it is that you do. Oof. Steady, 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 <laughs> steady. But, uh, steady. Let's, let's move I mean, on. For I was going to make a point about F1, but yes, I've been sir. distracted by racing. I've been distracted by uh, non-racing subjects, and I've forgotten what my point was going to be. Well, that's not very good, Tim. You need to kind of figure this shit out because you haven't got long. Let's go. Chop, chop. Oh, that's it. I was going to use a fun fact for you. Um, there are now six drivers in F1 who have got 101 or more podiums after Fernando Alonso got his 101st podium today. And Alonso is the first one of those six where his 101st podium wasn't the race win. So I always thought that Alonso... So when Alonso went back to 12th, 13th after the spin, I was like, oh, yes, this means that he'll win a race at some point this season. But now that we've gone through his 101st podium without winning the race, um, I don't... I, I, 
obviously a bit disappointed as an Alonso fan. Although I still think he shouldn't have been allowed to re-inherit the podium. He's basically re-inherited two in the last two weeks, practically. Um, if I was Alonso, I'd put the lottery on for sure. <laughs> and if I was Sainz, I certainly wouldn't. Oh, I mean, poor Carlos. The man got penalised for a lap that did, for an instant on a lap that didn't exist. No, but according to the FIA, it did exist because he got penalised. But it also didn't exist because, as we discussed earlier, the, the repositioning of the cars. It's, it's either one rule for one or one rule for, or like no rule at all. It should yeah. be. Right, but saying that, that the FIA still uh, say that the Abu Dhabi incident was above board. So I really don't trust their judgment in anything at all, ever again. I don't know. I, I, I actually think I agree with you, Dan. I think that the FIA should rewrite pretty much their entire rule book and simplify everything. And then what that also leaves, it, it would leave the common sense to take place from the FIA. And I know it's not something that we associate with F1 very often in any capacity, but an incident like today, if the rule book says at the discretion if at the discretion of the race directors at the time, if there is a clear order, then a clear order can be determined halfway around the lap. Then you can accept that the start was valid. Then that leaves because if none of them had made it through turn one, say if the top five or six had wiped out all in turn one, then you can say, well, yeah, they've. And then like the red flag came out before they'd made it to the first sector end, then you could say, yeah, there's grounds for the restart there. But in this instance, like today, where the, the, there was a clear order after the accidents, because what must um what must Alpine be thinking? They were going on for what fifth or sixth, sixth or seventh before before the before they crashed into each other. They were fifth and, and ninth then, for the restart, and then. Alonso is allowed to keep his podium after crashing, but they're not allowed to keep their points after crashing. Again, it's just the inconsistency of one rule for some drivers, one rule for others. No, that's different, though, because Alonso was able to recover because he didn't crash. He was able to drive his car. His car was in a drivable condition. He didn't really have any damage. Same with Stroll, who went off. He didn't have any damage. It was a bit of mud. Those Alpines were completely buggered. Like they were, They were not running anymore and that's the difference there not running that's literally the nicest way to say that their car was absolutely destroyed like is that the same corner that both of them tangled in like a few years ago not the drivers but the cars i think it was further around the lap wasn't it after the old six and seven the old chicane there yeah it was something like but i mean a quick one, though. I mean, this one wasn't Ocon's fault, but have you known a driver that's crashed as much as his teammate as a Span Ocon? Nope. I don't think so. But where where does Ocon go? Like, you can't he can't go nowhere. I think Alpine is his level. I think he's a upper midfield driver. I don't think he's ever been good enough, in my opinion, to be that one to go and take on the world championship or like actually move up to the Mercedes team is he still contracted under Toto I know he was for a long time as a he's manager is Toto yeah. I think but he's never Toto he's never actually because he was tipped to be moved up a couple of years ago wasn't he was it when they got Bottas or was he not there then don't think he was quite ready then but 
Yeah. No, Bottas was also managed by Toto, and that's yeah. when, like, he when he became uh, Toto's employee, Toto dropped, like, and him decided yeah. not to have him as a client anymore. We 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 all think we're watching F1. What we're really watching is Toto Wolf money laundering empire. Mate, don't because the Red Bull are beyond that. Literally, they're they're listening like, oh shit, that's what that's what's going on. If anyone from Red Bull is listening to the podcast and would like to come on and <laughs> talk to us, we'd love a guest. I'm fairly confident that no one from Red Bull wants to talk to us, mostly because of what Dan says. But you know, yeah. But am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I'm not wrong. I mean, sometimes you're a bit tin hatty. Doesn't mean it's not happening. Just means I can't prove it yet. Oh, I like that. We're gonna have fucking. Spygate, and at the centre of it all is going to be Daniel Heath sending emails to uh, um, the 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 uh, who's the new Ferrari. It's going to be going to be sending emails to uh, Horner and to the Fata with with the title International Espionage. <laughs> One thing I will say, actually, as we're on about Red Bull, Max's driving with Lewis, I think, has got a hell of a lot better um, because. Well, it's because he knows he can race him fairly now and beat him. You put him in an equal situation yeah. like they did today, where at the start of the race, Lewis was able to get elbows. Max couldn't risk it because Max is fighting for a title with only his teammate. And also, as you'd expect, Max Verstappen was no match for Lewis Hamilton in an equal opportunity. Max, Max Verstappen is not in a race for the title with his teammate. Can we just... We we all got excited over the Perez winning in Saudi. It's, it's not going to happen, is it? Realistically, who is in the second place driver championship? Perez, but he's not allowed to win it, as Tim said. Well, obviously, only time will tell. But I, I, I do agree. It's going to be another Nico Rosberg situation. He's going to um, Max will get gifted gifted it if he gets too close. I don't think it's at all fair to say that Nico Rosberg was gifted it. He wasn't gifted. What he did was what Perez are you, are had you, to do. Are you shitting me? No, I'm not shitting you. He put, put all Rosberg did was really, really upset Hamilton as much as he could. He went over the line of what was acceptable and really didn't damage their relationship. And that's what Perez has got to do. I mean, let's face it, Perez is not going to get a drive at Red Bull next season. They're lining oh, up. Well, have a contract for next season. Nope. This I is last year. year this, is, this is contract year. Uh, I'll check that. I'm pretty sure it's his contract year. So, who are they going to put in the Red Bull then? Because you're basically saying that they are looking for somebody that they can control, like Mercedes did with Bottas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Mercedes did with Bottas. You're basically saying Red Bull are going to be in that situation. Um, there is a driver at McLaren who is out driving his car every fucking week and has been for the last three seasons who I think could be paid enough money or bought out of the contracts, the long-term contracts, to go and be number two at Red Bull. You say it, yeah, you are right. It is a two-year contract, uh, Tim. I've just checked. I've just looked that up. Um, but honestly, I think that Perez has really got a do it now because if he's in his contract year i reckon they just bin him off uh, i think this is his opportunity to do it. his only opportunity at the title is this season i don't think yeah. see him getting a top drive again 
But we've proved that contracts mean absolutely nothing. Like in the yeah. past. Does anyone think that Lando will see how his six-year contract or whatever it is at McLaren that he signed in 2022? I don't think so. I, I don't think he'll be there next season. I don't know. It depends what was available for him. I think he'll be in a second Red Bull car. Yeah, but why Why would you go into a second Red Bull when you've already seen what's happened to Perez? Like, you're not going to get a championship with because Max it there. His, it's that it will be his only alternative to be in a semi-competitive car. I don't see McLaren... I'd okay, love if I'm Lando, I'm longing it out for when Hamilton retires. What is a semi-competitive car worth when you're not allowed to win? I think if you look at how Fernando Alonso's demeanour has changed by just going from finishing 8th to 10th week in, week out to having a chance of finishing 3rd or 4th week in, week out, it can rejuvenate you. I know Alonso and no. Lando are in very different parts of their career in different situations. But, but just, also, just... Alonso is the team leader. It, it's not like... You're going there, and you're guarant- and you're pinned into that set number two driver role. It's like, oh yeah, you can now drive a car that's going to have a chance at a podium. But imagine if I said, yeah, you know, when a car's got a chance for a podium, except for your teammates, always got to finish in front of you. Okay, Reece, so if they yeah. drop Perez, who are you taking? If they drop Perez, if, if they drop Red Perez, Bull, who are you taking? Do you put Porsche straight in a car or one of the experienced F2 well, drivers? We are clearly overlooking somebody that is already fitted for a Red Bull suit. Yeah, well, it's called it's called Mr. Daniel Ricardo. Yeah. Hey, you've got your second chance now, Daniel. You can go sit in a Haas or sit in a Red Bull. Get get paid an extortionate amount of money to be Max's bitch for the next two years. I'm not going to lie. I would do it for the money. It's it. Third driver is unemployed. That's what that is. But he no, wants to drive. No, no. It's in the context because Dragovic isn't unemployed. He's learning the paddock and learning the sport at Martin, as an example. But in in Ricardo's case, third driver is unemployed. No, he was there for the promotional video for Australia. That's what he was employed for, to be in the promo video for a what? It was like ten minutes. You can guarantee that he'll be on all of the talk shows when we have Vegas and Miami. He'll be the one that's going to be fronting. He's going to be representing the sport in that instance, isn't he? Because America loves him. I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, they've re-signed him pretty much to make themselves not look like arseholes. It's going to take a lot more than than just signing Danny Rick to make Helmet, Nobed, Marco and Horner not look like arseholes, personally. You have to be, in, in some instances of business, you have to be how they are otherwise you're never going to succeed yes they take it too far but there has to be a level of arseholery if you want to succeed in the sport Um, and if you if we were speaking in dutch right now and doing a podcast from amsterdam i'm sure that we would be saying oh look at that arsehole toto wolf yada 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 he dominated the sport for so many years it's right cocky about it but because we like the drivers and we like the team that were winning at that point. We don't have the same viewpoint. It would not surprise me at all to know if you have to give up, like, the blood of your firstborn child to work at Red Bull. Like, I think they're that they're that far gone that they're literally, like, you know, like, they're, they're that fucked up. It, it, it's, it is, and it has been proved, Red Bull is a toxic environment. Facts. Just like it, it just is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's your staff are well looked after there. Like in terms of like, you don't hear the people in the factory complaining. They're obviously doing something right because they have people, a big catering budget. 
With that, That's yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> but you think that people left Mercedes and left Ferrari to go work at Rebel Powertrains? They've got to be doing something right, and it can't just be a new challenge. Maybe. Maybe I just have this this real bias about how messed up they are, maybe. Yeah, you can't you can't deny that from an engineering perspective, the car that they've built within the rule set is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> it's an absolute rocket ship of a car. The car is brilliant. It's just a shame about the person driving it. The person driving it is be- driving it better than anyone else. Well, yeah, because it's built for him. I mean, that's the difference. Um, as Alex Alvin brought it up previously, he says, when you're driving that rebel, you're driving Max's car. And you've just got to do your best to try and make it work for you. Should we have a word for Alex Albon? Because how gutting was it when we saw him hit the wall? Especially after his start as well. He's in sixth place in that Williams and keeping pace with the Huss. group in front. Yeah, no, he was keeping pace with the group in front for a while. Yeah. He was, he was, he was keeping up with Gasly, who was on the DRS of... His middle um, sector was mighty. Yeah, yeah, especially even in the practice sessions. But again, that Williams has been great in a straight line for a few years now. Um, same can't be said for his teammate. Um, unfortunately, uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it at the back of the pack. He decided that he didn't want to break for turn one on that lap 56 restart and just <laughs> ran into <laughs> ran in, into De Vries. Yeah. Do you know what that reminds me of? Did he, did he hit De Vries earlier on in the race as well? I think De Vries went up in the air, didn't he? Uh, De Vries went up in the air, but that wasn't through contact with him. That wasn't through Sergeant's contact. Who did he hit? Uh, oh, was it, was it Magnussen? I think it was Magnussen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so De Vries has just been used as a wrecking ball pinball for today's event. <laughs> but it's literally how you drive on Gran Turismo and it's him. That's that's literally your moves, isn't it? Sergeant. Yeah. Just straight through. <laughs> Who yeah, needs brakes when you've got someone else's brakes? That's it. Yeah. Uh, the final, the final chicane um Spa race is all I'll say to you on that one. Still goes down in history as our greatest Gran Turismo. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the uh, the lap what sorry the turn one incident at Maggiore was the one. Now oh, for yeah. those who don't know, <laughs> uh, you, uh, all those people, the weird example I give to you is Baku, Ricardo, Verstappen. <laughs> you can't just move out in front of someone at the last minute expecting to to stop when they commuted to a late breaking. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say. And I can't believe you've brought this public in. Um, Chelsea have just sat Graham Potter. Really? Harsh. Yep. It's just literally come up breaking news. Brutal. I think Rogers is on the line as well, isn't he? he no, he's already gone. Oh, has he? <laughs> I reckon Potter. <laughs> I reckon Potter's going to Leicester. Oh yeah. I could get behind that. I'd take that. Dan, Graham Potter's just been sacked. For what? I mean, I personally thought he was doing a great job at Chelsea. Yeah. (laughs) Did better than the last manager. There's only one man who control all the egos and be happy to accept the players that are just bought for him, and that's Mourinho. Uh, The special one. I'll tell you what. Come back to Chelsea and win win them a fourth title. Winning the Champions League. That's what Mourinho's going to come back to Chelsea to stop Man City winning the Champions League. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I'd actually be fully behind that if uh, Mourinho pulls off a defensive masterclass in the final against City. I am Jose Mourinho. Um, let's, let's get back to Formula One. I hope he does as well at Chelsea as he did at United. 
won them two two trophies. <laughs> Mate, ruined the team. Mate won a double and then got you top four and was then and then also got you finished second in the league at a time when you hadn't done that for like seven or eight years. All right, talking about ruining a team, how about McLaren? Because all of a sudden something looked different today, and I'm not sure if it was because of the eight DNFs, but they did look half decent. I don't, I don't think so. I think they purely lucked out and fluked, uh, fluked a double point there. I, I, I don't, I don't think they were. Well, Norris was seventh on, on like merit. And Piastri was 11th going into lap 57. Yeah, but Piastri was, and then it was when there was already three cars out of the race. So it's 14th, just back where he's been racing for the rest of the races so far. Who was out of the race by that point? Russell. Russell. Um, Carlos. No, sorry, Charles. Leclerc, and yeah. Magnussen was the Magnussen. third one. He was he was ahead of Magnussen. So yeah, you could, you could argue he was a net 13th, but still, Lando Norris would have been in the top 10 still. Yeah, but we know that Norris produces drives that outdrive that car. Is if if I was going to pick a driver to move into one of the top three teams tomorrow, it would be Lando. I don't think that this is like the return to regular point. Watch them go and do really well in the next race in Baku, <laughs> but I don't think this is a return to the really like regular week in week out middle of the points contenders. What what is Baku? Two weeks. Four weeks, because it should have been China in two weeks' time. So the next race is on the 30th of April. That's mad. Yeah, it's pretty It's it's pretty weird now. We're going to have a four-week gap, by which point they probably sh- will have figured out what the finishing order from this race has been. <laughs> and then also, when we come back, st- stupid calendar. It's, you've got Australia, four-week gap, Baku. One week gap, Miami. One week gap, back to Europe for Imola. <laughs> that is just. We're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, they say. Oh, Not if you keep flying like that. The get all the mid, get all the Middle Eastern races out of the way at the very start of the season. Fly to Australia. Then, I know you've got to do your 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 hopping and stuff. But if you go from Australia to Miami, you're you're not going Australia, Europe, Miami, Europe. And then and then and then I think after you've got two European races and then you go back to Canada, then you come yeah. back for three more three or four more European races. If, if, but it's the European season after that, after Canada. But the European season is effectively starting with Baku. It's just that there are two America race America's races in the European season now. I mean, everyone was used to Canada being where Canada was because it's when you have to race there because of the weather. Same but very, I feel like same you could race you... at Miami a week or two later, or a week or two earlier, and put them together. You'd be fine racing in Miami as long as you don't do it when you're going into Austin, when you're racing in Austin, because that's hurricane season. You could back-to-back Miami and Canada and be okay, except for it would be hot. It would be very hot. But if you do a night race in Miami, like they're doing in Vegas, it would be such a problem with the heat. I suspect that the organisers of the Vegas race would have an issue with another American major city having a night race. I suspect that they would kick up a fuss if F1 tried to do that. I don't think so. I just think, I think that would probably be, they'd probably be fine with that because it's the, at the end of the day, Liberty Media calls the shots and I reckon you'll get a better attendance. Mind you, a night race in Miami, that's, um, that could be a bit risky if you're attending. Are you on about the Top Gear special where 
they didn't want to go either side of 47th Street or something, was it? If you go anywhere beyond 47th Street, you will be shot. Shot and you will be killed. Yeah. You will be killed. Oh, As I didn't know which side of 47th Street to go on, I decided to stay, to stay on, on 47th Street. <laughs> oh, God. Can we discuss that Lewis Hamilton looks like he had found some mojo and Mercedes do look like they're improving a little bit. I mean, this was strong for Mercedes. They haven't ever this season looked like they'd be the team that could go and be comfortably the second best team of the weekend. But this weekend they did. It's good to see him with not that depleted look in his eyes of, oh, it's just everything shit. Woe is me. My girlfriend's left me and my puppy's died look on his face. It's just, it's nice for him to have a bit of a spring in his step. Um, but after being passed by that Red Bull, like the way he was, how he kept it together, I'd have been like, are you taking the piss? This is what you want me to race. Like, can we look at what's in their car? So when he was, um, he was did an interview and it, I don't know who it was with, but I think it was shared by Autosport is where I saw it. Um, and he was saying that, He's reached the point with the start of the season that when he's in that Middle Eastern region, the whole moral compass aspects of being there, he says things starts affecting his mental state and it means that he's distracted from the driving. Um, And he said that he just really, really doesn't feel comfortable being in those Middle Eastern countries um, at the start of the season. Um, specifically Saudi I think he referenced and he said that the moment that he arrived in Australia it felt like his season could properly start because he didn't have to worry so much about the off the track issues of where he was and who he was being in 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 that region and that area Um, and he gave a really it was a really open like interview that he gave but it was really really interesting to read through what you were saying on it. One thing I would say about that is not that I don't disagree with the things that he was uh, fighting for and like all that sort of stuff, but you only have to watch your back when you interject yourself into a situation that has nothing to do with your culture or your life. I get, I, t- I totally agree. It's it's messed up the stuff that they got going on out there. But if you don't interject yourself, you don't become a target. But this is where he says that his position as the seven-time world champion of a global sport, of being an individual and part of a team that people follow and look up to, he feels that when he goes to those places, it's a responsibility that he has to at least acknowledge and recognise what goes on in those places. Yeah, well, this is the thing. He is one of those few drivers that seems to be speaking up. We've... With Vettel no longer in sport, you wonder who's going to stand up, who's going to be listened to in those countries. You haven't got the four-time world champion doing it anymore. I think if you're going to speak up, you've got to be who carries weight out there because it's Hamilton, Alonso, maybe Verstappen, but Verstappen won't speak up. He's he's always he's always stayed well away from any form of politics in sport, which you know if that's what he wants to do, then absolutely fair enough. But if you are going out there to these Middle Eastern countries, you've got to, you can't just put blinkers on. Otherwise, you are literally sports washing it yourself. But this is where I, so this is the reason, so the original question was we see see Lewis with a mojo back. And he actually just came out and said, I wasn't 
I didn't feel like I could be fully myself in the past two races just because being in those countries and in those situations just gets my position and being in my position just gets me thinking about other things so yeah so it's an interesting take on it from Lewis's perspective but definitely this weekend it was great to see him and also the two qualifying laps like he was behind Russell's qualifying lap and Lewis was still delighted with his own one which shows how good a lap George's one must have been well Lewis is very quick to say still that he's not a fan of the car he still feels disconnected from it and it's difficult to drive but it's obviously making a difference it's obviously making a difference if you don't have the confidence in the car you're not going to be like launching yourself into every corner maybe as much as you do even though these guys are programmed to go fast they're going to go fast in a way they might be holding something back where there's that little bit of hesitancy because you don't have the confidence you feel like the car might throw you off or have a snap of understeer. You're probably thinking about those things in the back of your mind. Whereas if you're fully connected with the car and in tune with it, like you see Verstappen currently, you just throw your car in without a care in the world because you know it's going to stick. Yeah, I, I fully agree. With, um, and you hear about Alonso saying how, not how fast the car is, but his word choice of wording, especially in the Middle Eastern races, was how nice the car was to drive. So it was the balance, it was the stability, it was him turning the car in it or breaking with the car in it, breaking to the distance that he wanted whilst being stable or turning into the corner and just sticking like glue. And that's actually where the Mercedes might have the pace in it, but to drive it right on the limit, you start losing confidence that the car is going to do exactly what they want to do. And and that's going to cause issues and cause problems. So moving on this track invasion that happened um where people were climbing on the fences etc it's uh there is going to be an investigation on the australian grand prix which is concerning considering that there's a already signed up to stay on the calendar for a considerable number of years um but i mean that one of the quotes is that it's an unacceptable situation that could have had disastrous consequences Tim, as someone who goes to Silverstone quite a lot, um, you partake in a track invasion at the end of the race. Do you think that the incidents in Melbourne's day could have a knock-on effect on future track invasions at other races? I really hope not, because I think part of F1, when you are at the event, Unless you have a paddock pass or a membership, so much of it is closed off. Even from the spectators, you pay hundreds and hundreds of pounds to go for a week for the for the weekend. They pay to camp, but it when you're and it's just the nature of racing, I guess. If if the fact that to keep you safe and to keep there from just being nobody can get anywhere around and like it's just being a free for all in the paddocks and the pit lane, there has to be closed off in secluded areas and when you are able to enter that track at the end of the day like after Silverstone last year um we were up against the pit wall and we got to see up close in person people like Lando Norris, Toto Wolff, um the Sky F1 presenters, the Channel 4 F1 presenters, the F1 TV presenters and then we were able to just walk into the evening sunset we were just walking around the track and having a look round just at where everything had happened we went to the site of the show crash and then we looked at um 
we we walked back around towards Cops and just like basically did a, most of the track on a on a walk and it's the one opportunity as a regular fan going to the race where all of those barriers are taken down and I, I would hate for that to be lost from future events that euphoria of seeing your favorite driver or the driver who's just won a great battle and then being able to be under the podium for it um having seen just a brief video of where the people got through to the track it does look as if they were not on the main straight or somewhere that would even have been where they could get under the under the circuit because i think on co-commentary was it button this weekend who was on the co-com yes and yeah. i've got to say i thought jensen button did a very good job this weekend so did i yeah um but button said that from where they could see it on the main straight everyone who went down to get onto the track was actually stopped from crossing the fence but there are videos emerging from elsewhere around the track that they clearly were not stopped and um, there's also a human safety aspect of that as well because even though the cars are going under safety car if you're going through that drs section around the back of the track the new seven and eight section you could still be going 80 90 100 miles an hour under a safety car there's been debris on the circuit you could have your own damage given that there was a big pile up um on the previous restart you could have a piece of carbon fiber flow off you could have a wheel come off you could have a wheel come off a car and god forbid the car go into a wall even even at those speeds we 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 look at it and we go oh look how slow they're going under safety car they're still going what you would be driving motorway speeds if you if you're driving around on like a long distance journey or something like that so then they're not going slowly even at the lower speeds and there there was always that risk so it, it's frightening to see that the people got on there um I know that when you go to Silverstone, there are very well-marked track access points that are actually manned by individuals the whole time. And unless you're going to climb over the whole top of the fence and get onto the circuit, there's nowhere else around it, um, which would take some doing in most in most fences. So, yes, it's going to have to be something that's going to need to be investigated. And I really hope it doesn't affect Australia because we saw the crowd this weekend we saw how big it was we saw how many people turned out 120,000 people from the Friday which I think was a record for the Friday for Melbourne and it was sold out for Saturday and Sunday and it's a fantastic venue it might not always produce the best racing but it always produces a talking point and it's always just looks like such a great atmosphere and I'd hate for the actions of a few desperate people who even if they're caught in the moment or they think oh, it's under safety car, so there's no real risk me going on circuit. There's always a risk, and you shouldn't be taking advantage of that. Yeah, it, I mean, it's exceptionally, because I mean, we, when we, Tim and I, we went to Monza in 2017, and everything was manned, and it was very strict, and there was no way anyone was going to get on that track. But, yeah, even though it's the cool-down lap at the end of the race, it's, or it might even be in safety cars. I mean, it's not clear from the, from the fish that's been sent, or, or been shown um, what that is, but there is a there is a man walking around on the other side of the crash fencing uh, in the bounds of the racetrack, taking videos. And you're like, yeah, cool, that's probably getting a great videos. And if, if you're there, you're probably going to do that. But you should never be in that position. And it's it's really concerning that someone could be in that position. Dan, do you have anything more to add on this? Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's just it's it's a complete safety aspect. It's like it's just stupidity, and that's where we're at as a society. Where 
you're risking your life to get a 10 second TikTok video or something stupid like that. But I think that they should be able to track these people and they should be able to ban them from all future F1 events because they're they're risking it having, you know, it being taken away, they're risking their life, they're risking the sport as a whole if they get hit. It's just it's just, you know, it's just stupidity. But I don't think you're ever gonna stop a track invasion because it's just part of the sport unless you're gonna have six hundred security guards there stopping you. It's just it's never gonna happen. But you you can as we were saying at Silver, about Silverstone and Monza, that you can have every track access point manned without... Because from the footage that we've seen, there's clearly a gap in the fence where there isn't a load of... There isn't any security guards there, and that that is worrying to me. Because um, that if you, if they can get on them, they can get on the, onto the track at any point. And we brought up Silverstone last year and it was missed because it happened after the Joe red flag. And thank goodness it was missed because of that. But you had the protesters access the track there as well. And I know very different circumstances. Um, but that's now twice in the space of nine or ten months where you've had people access a live racetrack, which just cannot be. There's got to be a solution or a thing put in place. Um, I also do wonder if. I'm going to generalise here, but the drive to survive aspect of the new fans coming in, do the new fans who are coming in think, oh, the cars are going much slower under safety car and the race is pretty much over anyway, other than a lap back into the pit. So it's going to be safe to me without knowing the history of, or just not recognising how dangerous it still is to be on a live racetrack, even under a safety car. I wouldn't want to have my legs sliced in half at 70 miles an hour by a piece of carbon fiber but maybe they just think oh the drivers have got brakes and the drivers are going so slowly that they'll be able to go around me at that low speed drive to survive needs to remind people in black and white writing like you get with wwe don't try this at home this is dangerous what wwe say drive to survive just needs at the start of every episode motorsport is dangerous because it is, and I don't. Uh, I well, I should generalise. I think you're kind of right. I don't think that there are people out there who have come in with this new generation who don't get that you can die on a racetrack. Especially people it. who've seen the Grosjean. So, say if you were a drive, drive to Survive season three, I think it was, and you've watched Drive to Survive, you've seen Roman, Roman Grosjean come out of that fire, or if you've come in this season and you've seen Joe barrel roll the car destroys itself as he barrel rolls over into a fence and is trapped behind a wall and just walks away um yeah it's you're, you're gonna think oh that happened at 200 miles an hour and the drivers were fine so if i stand on the edge of a circuit when the drivers are going 60 70 80 miles an hour then i'm going to be fine too and it just doesn't work like that it doesn't mean because the drive the drivers are in the most protected the drivers are in something that's designed to protect them while they're sat inside the car. It's not designed to protect everything else that around them or the environment around them. Everything else is designed to protect them. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just it's just concerning because there could be an accident. And the fact that this has happened twice, I I wonder if the blame falls with Liberty Media. Do they need to take security more seriously? I mean this. These are both two things that we, we saw that 
we were almost preempted. Like we knew fans were going to get on the track in Australia and they were lining up ready to go throughout that red flag, knowing that it was going to be restarted with a, a single lap tour, whatever, whatever happened. If there was a restart, they were all ready to go. And with the whole Silverstone protest last year, everyone knew it was going to happen. Like it was, it was so well documented and yet it still happened. And we got very fortunate with the red flag at Silverstone because that would probably cause a nasty accident. And today we're fortunate as well that people who were trying to get on at the last lap were able to avoid, you know, any injury because of, because of the circumstances. I I just don't, it, it really does concern me that, we could have a terrible, terrible accident. And we, we've seen it as well. It's not like it's unheard. We we saw a fan on the track in Singapore. It 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 seems to, you shouldn't be able to say in the last five years, oh, there are three instances of people getting on a live Formula One track. Was the first one on the track at Singapore a fan or was it a marshal? I thought it was a marshal running back with fan. a bit of carbon fiber. No, fan on the track. There's a fan on the track and he was just wanting to get a closer look at the cars. Oh, just crazy. The cra- crazy people who don't value their own safety or the safety of others around them more than, as Dan said, that quick 10-second TikTok video that might get a couple of thousand likes. Well, with that, we'll wrap this up. Um, first of all, we want to say thank you to our sponsors, Apex Tracks, for all the help they've done. Um, we will speak to you in a couple of weeks, hopefully, when we can catch up on the first few races of the season. Um, but until then... If you like what you heard, you can catch up with us in this four week window of no racing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, not TikTok, but you can catch up with us on Discord. And uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Very long. I, I just want to put out that Tim waved to you all as well while, while he was saying bye. Uh, I, always, like, right. I always wave at the end but, of the podcast. We're all tired, okay? We've all been up since. <laughs> 6 a.m. Like, yeah, 6 in the morning. Yeah. Right, right guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. 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 Cheerio, guys. Bye.